you are entering the Freedom Hut. The lockdowns are breaking down, but now they're saying that protests are actually spreading the virus, plus the fight to open up schools. Gavin Newsom of California threatens to fire first responders unless he gets federal money. A judge in the Flynn case doesn't care if the FBI 302 was lost. Another vaccine candidate shows promise and some updates on the Pensacola shooter. Here's a hint. He was tied to Al-Qaeda. That's coming up. This This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make make no mistake. America, you're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. I trust you had a good weekend, able to relax a little bit, try to get ready for another week in this changed country we live in, but hopefully temporary. Temporary if we keep our wits about us, if we understand that what is going on in the country is largely now, unfortunately, of our own making, that this was a decision, that this was not a necessity. We did not have to go into a depression and that the data does not support at this point the continuation. Let's put aside for a moment whether we should have done this at all. The data increasingly looks like it does not even support that we uh, should. We, well, we should have done in the past, but we also should certainly not continue this any longer into the future. Uh, this has gotten completely and utterly out of control. All right. And of course, absolute and maximum control is the purpose behind it. So it's out of our control. It's in the hands of the government, of our overseers, of the bureaucratic overlords that now get to determine whether you can leave your house, whether you can open your business, do your job. Uh, they, the, you know, the Cuomo briefing now in New York, for example, is, all right, today, another day, numbers down, good. Okay, next slide, numbers down, good. Okay, now everyone, I'm, I'm going to repeat everything I've already said. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that repetition is when you've said something and you say it again for clarity or perhaps because you, you have already said it and you don't know what else to say. You know, these are the things that you're hearing from from Governor Cuomo, who has, I think, a lot to answer for in New York. You're also seeing the fight over budgets, over federal money. I mean, all, all this is going to continue to play out. So be, before we can even really deal with a lot of the problems that we are seeing. The first step is going to be letting us out of our gosh darn houses for more than just the essential needs. It is time for us to go outside. You know, here in in the city, I mean, I I can't speak to what it's like elsewhere across the country right now. I I can't speak to what what you're seeing in your uh, in your town or your city. But in New York, I will say over the weekend, I was I was out. I was walking. I do not wear a mask in open air. I I don't do this to be defiant. I just refuse to cave to this bizarre uh, insistence, despite the lack of evidence for it, that wearing a mask makes you safer, that wearing a mask makes you better in, in open air in public, indoors. I will say there's a major CDC study about influenza. So maybe you could say, well, this is so different from influenza, although nobody would really be able to explain to you why that's the case in terms of transmission. Maybe it's a bit more transmissible, but the similar mechanism, certainly there is that CDC study that said they're not even really sure that masks do all that much. 
from influenza. I mean, I think a part of it would be uh, if the virus can get inside either through your, you know, if it, it's, it's able to either get behind the mask if it's aerosolized or if you touch your face, even with a mask, it's then able to get in or perhaps it goes. I, I would assume it's possible that you can get v- the virus in your eye, uh, which means that if there are cloud particles, unless you're wearing, I mean, if there are uh, particles of it in a cloud, uh, you would think then you could get it without unless you had goggles on. Anyway, um, I don't wear a mask out in public for those for those reasons. Um, and people look at you strangely here now. This has become a very um, explicitly political uh, decision. And it's really also a, a virtue signaling exhibition now. It's like if you wear a mask, you're showing everybody that you're a good person. If you wear a mask, you're showing everybody that you care about the next person. And, and here is a woman on on social media. I, I don't know who she is, but this went viral over the weekend. And there's all this talk of, uh, of Karen Karen is producer Mark. Is this correct? Karen is a is a kind of prototypical uh, upper middle class white woman from the suburbs who wants to tattle on everybody. Is that a, is that a fair description of what a quote Karen is? Yeah, and she has the I want to talk to your manager look on her face. Yeah, that right, right. She always wants to talk to your manager. Uh, here is a woman named Rebecca Brand who was videotaping herself, horrified. There were people on a beautiful sunny day at the beach in open air. Not dressed like they're in, you know, not in hazmat suits. Play clip one. Oh, my God. Not one person with a mask on. Everybody is here. And nobody. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's what I'm saying. Oh, my God. Look at all those people. There's like 20. What the heck? What are we doing to you people? Hi, I'm Rebecca Brown, and I'm flipping out because Governor Newsom announced that this Friday we are no longer going to be on total lockdown. We're opening back up. I'm flipping out because people haven't been wearing masks, and this is going to be even more loosey-goosey than ever before. I think it's all going to go downhill from this point on. As people start mingling more, doing more, getting on the street, buying more, all of that, as you know, is opening up for the COVID-19 to take over and that coronavirus to just decimate our towns wherever we live. And with people not wearing masks, I am no longer protected from their sneeze, their cough, uh, their spewing because they're talking loud to me because they're so happy to see me. Gosh, we better just wear masks forever. Oh, gosh. Yeah. All those people. I'm no longer protected. You're in open air. The chance of you uh, receiving enough viral load on a, on a beach near salt water with blasting sunlight, uh, somebody would have to be effectively spitting in your face. Based on all the science, based on everything that we've seen, all the studies that have done, highly, highly unlikely. But this is the attitude you're going to have now. We have to break people of this attitude. This is what has to happen. We have to break people of the you must do what I say because you no longer have freedom based on my fear. Fear does not get to eradicate freedom. This is what uh, there's a lot of people in this country that have to learn this lesson. You don't get to say, well, I'm concerned. I have an irrational, even even unscientific concern about the spread of this disease. And therefore, you will do what I say because I'm so scared. And the people in charge are too cowardly and too reckless to accept that they've made terrible decisions along the way. And now what they really need to do is take on the mantle of the restoration of freedom that needs to happen in this country. They won't do that because that comes with risk. And as we know, politicians, they don't like risk. Politicians don't want the possibility of 
being told that they're uh, letting people die. They also don't want to cede power. They don't want to hand back to us the authority that they have taken for themselves. And I would just tell you, my friends, and, and let's never forget this. The biggest lesson in this mess, the biggest lesson of all, is never willingly hand over all your rights and freedom to government. Government is not your friend. As you know, government is not going to keep you safe and warm at night. But if you meekly obey, it will allow halfwits to force a depression and lock you in your house. And that's where we are now. That's what we have been suffering through. Someone explained to me why is it the case that in Europe, including in countries that have a much higher per capita death rate than we do, uh, in Europe, you have countries that are opening up cafes, restaurants and schools, whole countries. And yet we still have here in New York City. Oh, no, you can't. You can't go into a coffee shop. You can't open a retail store. You can't do these things. California, which has been very uh, moderate in the cases that it has had. Right. It has a moderate level. It has not had a, a true crushing epidemic and it's very fortunate in that regard california is now saying they're going to be locked down till what july maybe august the economic devastation from all this is going to be mind-blowing when we finally understand it and the trillions of dollars that are at stake i mean the politicians like little piggies at the trough are all trying to make sure that they get not just their share more than their share because it benefits them to do so and all the while, they have these people yelling, we need more testing. We need more testing. That's what the lockdowners yell. Problem is, we already have, even here in New York City, uh, a dramatic overcapacity for testing. We're only using about a third of the testing capacity that we currently have. One third. And you know what we're, we're being told now? Go get more tests. People don't want to get more tests. I, I, don't, I don't want to show up and get a swab in my nose for no reason. I have no symptoms unless I have a reason to do this. If I'm going to be around people that are particularly at high risk or if there's some. And, and how often am I supposed to do this? I could get a swab and be infected tomorrow and be contagious in four days. So how, how much how much asymptomatic testing are they really expecting we do? They haven't thought this one through. They haven't worked it out yet. But once again, obey the experts. Hysteria drowns out the obvious reality here that everybody can see. But that's not going to stop them. Uh, my friends out in KEIB Los Angeles land, here is what Gavin Newsom is saying about schools in your state. Play 11. President Trump has vowed that, quote, schools are going to be open. Is he right? Will, will school, schools in California be open this fall? Uh, I think some schools will not be. Many schools will be. Uh, and it's all conditioned on our ability to not only keep our children safe, but to keep staff and faculty safe, to keep the community uh, safe. So it's all predicated uh, on data, on science, uh, on not just observed evidence, the reality on the ground. Uh, each part of California is unique and distinctive. Each region, each region of the United States is unique and distinctive and certain conditions will present themselves favorably, some unfavorably. So I think it's a it's a question uh, that is a difficult one to answer in absolute terms. There's nuance, uh, but we are moving forward in hope and expectation uh, that we can start that school year very strategically and methodically, again, based upon the health uh, as a prime frame of reference in terms of those decisions. 
Man, a lot of smooth talking, blah, blah, blah from that guy. A lot of talking around in circles. Here's what the answer should be. Children are at almost zero risk from this disease, and children are very unlikely to be vectors passing it to adults. Not impossible, but very unlikely. Again, based on now we have studies. Now we have additional data and science. When all these decisions were made two months ago, it was projections. It was fear. It was, oh, my God, look at what happening, what's happening in Italy and look what's going to happen here. And we were told that, you know, the storm was coming, batten down the hatches, do what we say. Yeah, we'll do that for a few days, maybe a few weeks. We're not going to do it for months. It's time for mass noncompliance. I'll get more into that later on, but people should refuse some of these stupid orders. I'm happy to see this gym uh, owner in New Jersey who's saying, no, I'm going to open up my gym. Okay, people can go to the gym. You know what can happen if you go to the gym, even in in pre-pandemic times? You can get MRSA. It has happened before. You can get antibiotic-resistant bacteria from working out of the gym. It has happened to people. And that's really nasty, and it can kill you. But you know what? You hope that your gym is relatively clean, and you take your chances. You also can get a blood clot in in the brain, rather, and die on the treadmill or lifting weights, that can happen. You don't sit around worrying about it. It's all about what is acceptable risk. And adults can have, adults in good faith and with good judgment can have those kinds of conversations. People that think the government can protect them from all risk and will guarantee them that they all get to live, you know, 76 years or whatever the you know, average life expectancy is. Well, I know it's different for males and females, et cetera, but, you know, we, we all get to make it to 80, the government says, or make it beyond 80, Whatever it is, that, that's not something the government can do and it never will be able to. So we, we need to move away from this. We have had a failure of philosophy here, and it is that the government is here to protect you from all risk, including unreasonable expectations of security. You, you should have an you should have a reasonable expectation that the government will do some stuff to help you out, you know, protect us from invasion by foreign country, will execute the laws faithfully uh, you know, law enforcement will show up if someone's, you know, attacking you or breaking into your house, although you still want to be armed and be able to take care of it yourself if you can. Uh, but all of these things, minimal expectation is what you should have from the government, not that it will protect you all the time. And I'm, I'm just happy to see that over the weekend you had people who were out, at least here. And this is the worst place for COVID-19 response in that we've had the highest number of deaths, the most number, the most cases. And this place is as blue and left wing and statist and progressive as any place you'd find anywhere in the country, really. So we've had it very tough in that regard. But as we look now at what's happening, people just they're they're done. I mean, it's beautiful outside. The weather's warm. They want to live their lives. People want to take risks. If you don't want to go outside, don't go outside. But don't tell people that they can't go outside either, even if you're staying inside because you're so scared of what would happen if they go outside. No, no, that's not a country that we can live in. That's not a free country. So you ask yourself, is America a free country? Another little thing. I thought this was a free country when you want to get a little huffy about being able to do something or say something. That's a question that we should ask now. And it's one that doesn't have an easy answer because the imbeciles who have been telling us all along to just do as they say and we'll all be safe. They weren't telling you the truth. They don't know what they're talking about. They're not keeping you safe. And they're doing incalculable damage to the economy, to our ways of life. These are months that we'll never get back. Remember that, too. These are months you'll never get back. Time is the one commodity you can never get more of. The government's just stealing it from you like you're a prisoner. That's what they do to people who break the law. 
They take their time. They take time away from them. That's what's happening here. I say we take it back. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. The mortality for children 0 to 18 is virtually zero. It's not exactly zero, but it's close to zero. It's 0.0001%. It's very, very small. And this virus is very, very deadly for the elderly and for those who are in nursing homes, but it actually is not deadly at all for those who are young. And we should get them back to school and we should have a debate over this. Look, this is so bad that I know people in my state that are going to send their kids to grandparents in other states because our idiot governor doesn't want to open the schools that's what's going to happen is ultimately people are going to move to venues or send kids or even buy you know rent an apartment in an estate that is not does not have a draconian shutdown of the schools that's what this is going to come to he's right and and unfortunately it should come to that i mean the, the truth is that if you're in a state with a governor who is effectively being a moron by thinking that kids are at, are at uh, unacceptable risk from COVID-19. They're just not. Children should be allowed to go back to school. We are taking from kids on behalf of, well, uh, I mean, the political system, really, at this point. It's just this has all gotten so political. And you have the average age of teachers in the United States, according to the uh, you know, Department of Education, is 42. So you've got 15% of teachers are less than 30 years old here. If you're less than 30 years old, your risk from this is, so I know that's only, you know, that's less than one in five, but that's a fair number. Maybe we have to have bigger classroom size. Maybe we have to find a way to, you know, if you're a teacher over 50 or over 60, I can understand why you have your concerns about this one going back in the classroom because of COVID. But if you're under 50, what we're going to now say you, you can't come in. People have been through flu seasons. I mean, kids, all the teachers I know say that kids you know, come in with a lot of stuff that you got a lot, a lot of coughs and colds and sneezes and measles and, you know, all kinds of things. So what what are we going to do with our school system? We're going to keep it shut down. No, of course not. The school should be open. And anybody who's saying otherwise just isn't looking at the data. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I just want to make something clear. It's very important. Vaccine or no vaccine, we're back. And we're starting the process. And in many cases, they don't have vaccines and a virus or a flu comes and you fight through it. We haven't seen anything like this in a hundred and some odd years, 1917. But you fight through it and people sometimes, I guess, we don't know exactly yet, but it looks like they become immune or at least for a short while and maybe for life. But you fight through it. But what we'd like to do, if we can, is the vaccine. I think we're going to be successful in doing it, and hopefully by the end of the year. Fight through it. We're back. Vaccine or no. The president is right. This is what we need to do. This is what our mindset needs to become. Otherwise, we're just allowing ourselves to... We're destroying ourselves. We're destroying ourselves as a, as a country, as a society. You're going to wait, wait for a vaccine? How long do you think you're going to wait? What happens if the trials are correct? Now, look, there's I, I like any positive news that I can give you. Positive news is something that we should be thankful for and we should share it always with the caveat of, 
you know, if something's not yet decided or done, well, fine. But for example, Moderna, a big pharmaceutical company, just said, and they had a big rally in their stock. So if you own Moderna, lucky you, 26% went up after reporting a positive phase one result for a potential coronavirus vaccine. That's after two doses of its vaccine, all 45 participants in a trial, when they when they checked them out, all those 45 participants had coronavirus antibodies. If antibodies don't work against this, it would be bizarre, right? The problem with flu is that you get new strains of flu every season. Um, but and, and people would say, well, look at cold viruses. You don't have total immunity to those. Well, yeah, because there's so many different kinds of colds out there. But this COVID-19 specifically, this coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, as it is referred to by the scientific community, if you have antibodies to this, the mutation of it, the different strains of it are overwhelmingly likely to be less dangerous and less lethal. Now, that's not a promise. That's not a guarantee. But so if you if you are are safe from this, chances are you're going to be in uh, in a position to not have to worry about this at all. Right. I mean, meaning if you're safe from it now, at least by the time we figure out what's really going on here and we have the vaccine trials and it goes through, maybe then this will be this, this will be passed. I mean, they also don't really understand entirely how it is that some of these viruses just go away, which happens over time. Not all viruses just go away. They can live in human populations and come back. But some viruses do just so we don't know. There's so many unknowns here. But Moderna had a good a good phase one trial um, phase one results. So there you go. So it shows that it at least can do something against this disease. So that's that's some good news. Now uh, we have to convince other parts of the country that this has to happen. Um, This has to be a moment in time where we recognize that the left has a very big incentive here because of the minimization of the possible blowback on any governors in Democrat states. I also remember and people don't spend a lot of time on this now, but I remember how there were a lot of left wing pundits who were initially telling us that the red states and the redder parts of the country. This was this was out there. You can find this online. The red parts of the country. There'll be a lot of death in the red parts of the country because they don't believe in science and they don't believe it was a horrible thing to say, a vicious, stupid. And as we now see, also incorrect thing to say it is the cities and it is the blue states that have been hit the worst by this. In fact, some of the bluest parts of the country are, in fact, the worst hit parts of the entire country. And so now those states, those governors want maximum uh, protection from political blowback, uh, blowback from reopening, want to make sure they maintain. I mean, I'm going to walk you through their mindset, right? We understand what's going on here. They want to maintain their ability to blame Trump for this, right? That they want to make sure that to the degree they can, the economy stays in this frozen state for as long as possible because it is more likely than you'll have a Democrat wave election, not just for the president, but also for the Senate in the fall. They're having dreams of, of, of Obama's first year in office again when they had the House, the Senate and the presidency. So that's a part of this. They want to squeeze as much money out of the federal government as they possibly can. And that's also where, where Pelosi comes in here with what everyone is just saying is is a shockingly unserious. So she's of course they're calling it the hero's bill. I mean, they might as well call it the, 
you know, unicorns, fairy tales and, you know, magic rainbows and pots of gold uh, bill. But this is those are all the different factors. And that's why we need to look at what's really happening now with the coronavirus bailout bill for I mean, it's, I mean, whether you call it a bailout, you call it a rescue package, you call it a stimulus here, for example, is, uh, well, let's start with what they are saying about this. First, Pelosi wants to focus on how the CDC was cut in Trump's budget. I, I had to deal with this on the Bill Maher show. Trump doesn't set the budget. The CDC did not get a big budget cut. All right. So I don't know why she focuses on this. This is a distraction. This is a uh, it's a red herring. Pelosi specializes in that, though. Play 13. Did the CDC let the American people down? Well, the CDC was grossly cut in the president's budget. But setting aside how we got here, let's talk about how we go forward. Uh, It is important for us. uh, The American people want the economy to open up. We all do. Uh, We want our societies to to open up. We all do. And in order to do that, we have testing, tracing, treatment, and isolation. And that is the path. It's what the scientists advise. That is what we do uh, in the HEROES Act. She just is going to keep saying this. This is not an answer. Test, trace, treat, isolate. Uh, Guess what, Nancy? 50% of people at least are asymptomatic. How are you going to get them all to be tested? They're spreading the disease all over the place. What what we're seeing is the government tried to prevent or tried to uh, save us from the process of achieving herd immunity. And we're going to end up moving toward herd immunity as a society anyway, just with massive economic damage and and the erasing of freedom that we have seen happening here. Right. The seizure of your basic rights. But we're still heading toward a a percentage. You know, once we get 40, 50 percent of the population to have been exposed to this and have antibodies. Now you're talking about getting close to a, a herd immunity level. I mean, true herd immunity, I think, is, depends on the virus and how fast it's how much it spreads, how fast it spreads. But it can be much higher than that, you know, 80, 90 percent of the population. Um, I think for measles, because that's that's so contagious that I, I've never even heard anyone explain why it, it can be so much more contagious than other diseases. But you have to have a very, very high level of uh, infection and antibodies uh, or antibodies to it, I should say, for people to have herd immunity. But. Pelosi here with notice how she dodges on the CDC because the CDC is part of the permanent bureaucracy. It's part of that unaccountable tier of government that has far too much authority in our lives. But unfortunately, as we see, uh, we have to rely on it sometimes. And we're being told that test, trace, isolate, test, test, trace, treat, isolate. That was Pelosi's cute little phrase. Uh, But that is what we need to do here. Just remember that in the early days of this, the CDC was not able to get a test out in time so that we could have gotten ahead of this thing. People keep saying we should do what South Korea did. No, no, you, you would need to you need to stop, test, trace, isolate as soon as you're getting cases. We've had cases since January, at least. You think showing the CDC taking an extra four weeks or whatever it was to turn around a test that actually works? We, we, and, and that's starting in what? February, March? You think that's going to be okay? This is it's it's outrageous. These people don't know what they're doing. They don't have the answers, and we should not subject ourselves to living in the in the bizarre 
uh, fantasy land that they create where if only we had listened to them more, listened to the experts more, everything would be so much better off. It's just, it's wrong. Um, we have John, uh, uh, Kennedy, Congressman Kennedy, uh, saying the three tr- on the $3 trillion virus package, it, you, you want to hear about this. Play, play clip nine. It's $3 trillion for one thing, every penny of which we would have to borrow. That's three zero 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 dollars. It's not going to pass the Senate, nor should it. My fellow Republicans in the Senate have tried to see things from the speaker's point of view, but we can't get our heads that far up our rear ends. And I think uh, any fair-minded American would agree once they read the bill. Senator Kennedy of Louisiana there is a, uh, he, he, is, he is colorful in his speech, that is for sure. Uh, but this is, this is now going to turn into another one of these fights. And, and Pelosi is, is going to do everything that she can to make sure that the media has an opportunity to bash Republicans for being heartless and cruel well, what we really see happening is Democrats are going to use this. They're going to exploit this moment in time for their own purposes. They're going to ex- exploit this opportunity to try to get things they would not normally be able to get through the legislative process by holding people up. I mean, Gavin Newsom, here's a perfect example. There, there is a an old uh, an old ploy in politics. They call it fireman first. Right. And fireman first means that whenever somebody and usually this applies more in, in cities, sometimes state level, but you know, cities or towns. Whenever someone threatens to cut the budget, they just say, oh, well, I guess we're going to have to shut down all the firehouses. You know, no more, no more pay for firemen. And you say, well, hold, hold on a second. What about the, you know, $100 million we're spending on, you know, bloated pensions for former government workers? What about the money we're spending on, on, you know, administrators who don't really do anything. And, you know, there's always so much fat in the government. But the moment that you try to trim that fat, what you're told is that everybody, everybody's an essential worker. Everybody's a fireman. Everybody has a job that, you know, if you will, first, they just say firemen and police because we know they are essential. So that's what they that's their favorite move. Right. And then if that gets pushed back, they'll say, oh, well, no, we can't get rid of that person. But the, the first level is always. If you try to touch our budget, there's gonna, it's going to turn into the purge, for those of you who have seen that movie, because we're going to let all the cops go. Or, the, or, or your house will burn down because there'll, be no co- there'll be no firemen because we're going to let all the firemen go. And everyone says, well, hold on, maybe we can't cut the budget. See, this is the, the classic move that they pull. And you're going to see it in this, in this bill. Uh, Congressman Crenshaw, Dan Crenshaw from Texas, talked about the HEROES Act. This is, this is what he said, play 20. Today's theatrics are shocking. 30 million jobs, 35 million jobs lost, businesses and livelihoods ruined. And while American grocers, nurses and workers kept America going, Democrats kept Congress in hiding for the past three weeks. Hiding is fear. It is not leadership. And when we finally reconvene, we get this. Politico summed it up best. Neither this bill nor anything resembling it will ever become law. It's a Democrat wish list filled up with all the party's favorite policies. Is this a joke? Because it certainly isn't based on reality. 
Reality would be working here for the last three weeks, examining each problem our nation faces and working together to find the best solutions. That shouldn't be all that difficult since I would presume we still have the same goals, mitigate the virus and save our economy and society. Right? That is still our goal, isn't it? If it is, then stop playing games. $3 trillion of virtue signaling to your base is no way to govern in the midst of a crisis, and you know it. Fire from Congressman Cranshaw. That's what I like to hear. Obviously a rising star in the Republican Party, and he knows what's going on here. Remember Nancy Pelosi, when people were truly desperate because there, was, there were no federal funds yet approved to go to those folks who lost their jobs and their businesses are shut down because the government dictated they must be. Pelosi wanted to play games then. Oh, but now she cares so much about people? Mm-mm, I don't think so. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. No, I'm not crazy about it. Democrats are not crazy about it. Democrats talked about this bill going nowhere. And it's really sickening that the Democrats are using this opportunity to enforce their socialism. Remember, what is this bill that they just passed on Friday? Well, it's about pot. It's about prisoners. It's about politicizing election law, prioritizing illegal immigrants and pensions. These are all things that are socialist wish list that they've been trying to pass long before COVID ever came to this land. And that's exactly what they're trying to do, knowing that it will not go anywhere. They're just using this as an opportunity to restructure government. And I'm not just saying that. That's what Democrats say. Joe Biden said it the other day. The, their whip said it, Clyburn. It goes beyond AOC is now throughout the entire Democrat socialist base of what they want to utilize this opportunity to. Because when we wanted to help small businesses with their loans, Nancy Pelosi went to the freezer to stop it. Here's my concern. Just as you have the body has its defenses against pathogens, bacteria, viruses, parasites. And if your overall immunity is reduced, you are more susceptible from any one pathogen. You're more susceptible to all of them, right? If your overall immune system is overtaxed, then there can be secondary infections and other problems can come up. Right now, the American people and our sense that we have rights, that there are freedoms that must be respected, that there is a a contract with the government that we all enter into known as the Constitution, uh, that it can't just be violated on a whim. We, we are suppressed in our desire for freedom. And I worry that as we start to have some of those freedoms given back to us, we'll be so grateful that we're finally being let out of the prison, you know, just piece by piece, step by step. We're being pulled into the light of our lives again instead of being shut away in the darkness of lockdown that will just allow them to get away with all kinds of nonsense. You know, we'll be looking at the one hand that's offering us, okay, fine, you can start to open up stores. All right, fine, you can start to work out at the gym. You can go and, you know, see relatives. You can try all these things. But on the other hand, they're going to they're gonna be putting out there, oh, and we're going to redistribute wealth on a scale never before seen in human history. We're going to spend money, which is your children and children's children's money on a scale never before seen in human history. We're going to fund all of our most progressive left wing priorities. And you better not say anything about it, because then this other hand that's giving you freedom, perhaps it starts to clench once again. Perhaps we start to tell you to get ready for another round of lockdowns because we say so. 
This is volatile. This is fissile stuff for a government, my friends. Don't forget it. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, team, we are joined by the one and only Dinesh D'Souza. He is, of course, a columnist, author. You've seen him on TV. He's been in the conservative media game for some time here, my friends. He has a new book out. He's a best-selling author. He's got a new one, United States of Socialism, Who's Behind It, Why It's Evil, How to Stop It. Very timely, in fact, this book comes out now. Dinesh, great to see you. Great to be on the show. Hi. All right, so let's, let's just get in. We're already hearing, I mean, we had uh, Governor Inslee saying that this is the real opportunity. I mean, he's monomaniacal about climate change uh, among the left's agenda items. I mean, that's the one thing that he always talks about. Others are talking about forgiving loans as a racial justice issue, universal basic income. I mean, how do you see, I mean, you've got a book out on socialism right now. How does the left leverage this moment of crisis, unprecedented spending and fear to push for some of these socialist agenda items that they've wanted for 100 years? Well, the um, let's see, uh, how do I begin here? First of all, I think <laughs> coronavirus has given us a window, um, a kind of foretaste of what socialism looks and feels like. My wife is from Venezuela. She's been telling me now for years about the empty shelves, the limits, the rationing. Uh, but now we've seen it. We've seen it here in America, even if on a temporary uh, basis. We've also seen the other signature move of socialism, the attack on civil liberties. Um, the invasion of privacy, uh, the attack on religious liberty, freedom of assembly. And now, as you say, um, the left is trying to use fear uh, as a pretext to do all kinds of things that they couldn't do otherwise. See, Marx didn't think you would need any of this. Marx thought that socialism would come because the working class would become so discontented that it would revolt. But the left has now figured out that's not going to happen. The working class actually has it too good. They're not going to revolt. We need uh, climate fever. The world is ending. Or we need the virus is going to kill you if you don't do all these things. So they have become specialists in manufactured fear uh, to make people do things that in common sober moments we never would do. So they're trying to get socialism ultimately here through a panic. And what do you think? And we're speaking to Dinesh D'Souza. He's got a new book, United States of Socialism. Who's behind it? Why it's evil? How to stop it? Uh, wh- what do you see, for example, just in the in the, the latest Pelosi grab bag bill? You know, this this Heroes Act. There are all these things that they're trying to fund. Which one of the of the Democrat socialist agenda items do you think is the we're in the greatest danger of falling into as a result of this coronavirus? I mean, if you were to focus in on one, where you're like, they're really going to put it in, put the resources into this one in every sense. Well, I think the greatest danger comes from the fact that when people uh, over a fairly extended period of time are used to sitting on the couch and doing nothing uh, and getting money for it uh, and getting money on a regular basis, suddenly they realize, wait a minute, This is actually a pretty comfy lifestyle. I have more time to spend with my family. I can play Frisbee in the yard. Uh, This whole notion of me having to go to work for eight to 10 hours a day and get pretty much the same amount of money uh, is beginning to look kind of unappealing. So ironically, I think the left is relying on kind of the habits of of lethargy setting in on people so that what the left is proposing is more tempting. Before this, people might go, well, how's that going to work? 
how can a country function when no one's working? Well, uh, we see how it's functioning now. And so the left has the illusion that we can function like this perpetually. It's a very, it's a temptation for people. And that's probably the best thing going for the left right now. And it seems that the extension, for example, they're, they're already looking at, at pushing some of these unemployment benefits that for a lot of people, especially people who are making uh, around $40,000 a year or, or, or less than that, uh, they make more money staying home. And that was intentional. That That's not a an unforeseen consequence of this. They want to extend this now into 2021. So do you think that the is the argument for a universal basic income going to essentially turn into become, well, we're spending trillions of dollars and taking care of all these people. Why don't we just keep spending the trillions of dollars and make sure everybody has everything they need? Yes. I mean, the things, the measures we've taken are so extraordinary. First of all, we've never done. I don't think the world has ever responded this way to any kind of epidemic. Uh, these are, you may almost call them wartime measures. They're measures that are taken in extraordinary circumstances uh, and they're not sustainable. Um, I think deep down people do know this. Uh, the other thing I want to highlight is that, you know, you mentioned things like um, the um, efforts to give money to illegal um, immigrants mm -hmm. or the idea that we need to keep a racial count of uh, the, the uh, minorities being disproportionately affected by the virus. Uh, we need to have uh, diversity commissions now on corporate boards. Um, even the idea that somehow calling it the Chinese virus, the Wuhan virus, is somehow racist. Uh, it's important to see here that we have a new uh, twist on socialism. It's socialism married to identity politics. See, Marxist socialism wasn't like that. For Marx, the world is divided into two groups. They're basically the, the working class and the capitalist. That's it. But for socialists today, there's a race divide, there's a gender divide, there's a divide between straights and gays, there's a divide between legals and illegals. And so the whole strategy of the socialist left is to cobble together a democratic majority of aggrieved victim groups. That's how you get to 51%. Speaking to Dinesh D'Souza, author of United States of Socialism. Uh, so let, let's transition for a moment then in, into some of the arguments you make in the book, Dinesh. I mean, when people think of socialism, who's behind it? I mean, I'm sure you get into Marx a bit, but you mean who's behind it here in America? How are we getting? And and are there there are some of the folks that would obviously come to mind? Uh, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders. Uh, there are others that anyone who's paying attention to politics is, is aware, at least that they're openly pushing for socialism. But who else is is a part of this? And, and how else are we getting? You know, are, are we closer to socialism in this country than we've ever been in your lifetime? Is that fair to say? And, and how are we getting pushed so far? I mean, if the if the defeat of socialism was the big story of the 20th century, you have to say that the revival of socialism in the 21st century is not only a big story, but a big surprise. Um, if you think of uh, a spectrum with the free market at one end and full socialism on the other, you'd have to see that every Democrat, there is no exception to this, is pulling in the socialist direction. Not one of them is pulling in the free market direction. Now, the Democrats have rejected the explicit socialism of Bernie Sanders and the squad in favor of what may be called the creeping socialism of people like Warren and Biden. But notice that Biden is now moving in the Sanders direction. He was against free college, 
and now he's for it. He embraces a lot of the same policies as Bernie and the squad. He's fully behind, for example, the Green New Deal, which is the umbrella for bringing socialist policies to mainstream uh, respectability. So the bottom line of it is that socialism today is now embedded in the Democratic Party and has very powerful allies in Hollywood and the media. So, so it is not only economic socialism, but it's is a cultural thrust to socialism, and it, it it has an appeal even for groups that are traditionally very hostile to it. You've got, for example, successful capitalists who say things like, "We've now got to redistribute income because um, because if we don't, we're going to have a revolution in our society." It's completely nonsensical, but nevertheless, they believe it. In the United States of socialism, you also have the how to stop it uh, part of the equation. And I wanted to ask you, given what we're seeing right now in this country where, you know, everyone's just right now, we're just trying to get, you know, stores open, people back to work. And there clearly are forces that are fighting against this, not just for uh, fear of the virus, but also for for very political reasons. Uh, What can the Trump administration and what can conservatives in government and outside of it do to stop this? What feels like massive onslaught of government spending, government control. I mean, Janesh, look, it feels like we're losing right now. So how do we turn the tide? Well, it's a very strange thing to say that uh, we're losing. I mean, admittedly, we've had this economic contraction produced, obviously not by failed policies, but by an external uh, threat. Um, Look, currently uh, we control uh, the presidency, uh, the Senate uh, and the court. And the left basically has the House. So under all common uh, commonsensical calculations, we should be in control. Uh, but weirdly, even though we are in control, we never seem to be in charge. And it's well worth asking why that is the case. How can it be that when we control most of the rudders of government, the left is still setting the agenda? I think the answer to that has got to be that the left controls the big megaphones of the culture, namely academia, the media, and Hollywood. So this is not a straight fight between Republicans and Democrats. They've got allies working for them uh, that are, and then you have to add in the deep state. So you've got the police agencies of government which purport to be neutral, but which have been doing their bidding. So it's really important for us to hold these institutions accountable. Um, Recently, Barr said, um, as quoted saying, you know, we're not really going to be going criminally after Obama or Biden. And I say, why not? Uh, if, If Obama gave the order, if he is the mastermind ultimately of an effort uh, to frame and entrap not just General Flynn, but ultimately Trump, why wouldn't we hold them accountable? Why is it our attitude to sort of get over this and move on so that those guys can come back and do their thing when they have a chance? So I think it's very important ultimately to beat socialism, not just to refute it. I try to do that in the book, uh, but ultimately to fight it at every level. Uh, and that means holding the deep state accountable. It also means creating alternative institutions of media because that's our long-term threat. Look, it's an even bigger challenge to me than re-electing Trump. Why? Because the lopsidedness of the media affects every election. We're speaking to Dinesh Souza, author of the new book, United States of Socialism, Who's Behind It, Why It's Evil, How to Stop It. Dinesh, uh, you brought up the deep state and you had your own battle with the deep state some years ago. Um, you were not treated fairly in that process. The president agreed with that assessment and gave you a presidential pardon. Given what we have now seen, and, you know, I, I worked both with the FBI when I was in the CIA as well as in the NYPD Intelligence Division, uh, this doesn't really surprise me. What maybe does surprise me is how sloppy and obvious they were in this case. As somebody who was the target of this, I mean, clearly it was 
was uh, treated differently because of politics by, I believe it was Preet Bharara in the Southern District, correct? Uh, what do you make of what do you make of these revelations? And uh, and what what do you want to tell people that see this and say, you mean that there are federal prosecutors and FBI agents who are actually bad guys for political reasons? Yeah, I think what we're seeing uh, is that this goes uh, this goes uh, very far. It goes beyond like Preet Bharara wasn't doing anything on his own. He was in league with the Holder Justice Department. And I think I know who Holder was playing wingman for. Uh, similarly, here in the Flynn case, you see that these FBI agents, Peter Strzok, even Comey, Mueller, uh, these guys are not going to do it on their own. Somebody is giving the order that is very, very high up. And the other point that's very alarming is that the judges are in on it. This is critical. We see this with Judge Sullivan. It's obvious that he is very frustrated by the decision of the Justice Department to drop the case against Flynn. So now he's looking to see how he himself, the judge, can resurrect it. And what's the basis for resurrecting it? Flynn pleaded guilty. This is the same thing that people say to me. Well, you pleaded guilty, didn't you? Obviously, you admit you did it. But here's the key point. When you're sitting across from the prosecutors, they will say to me, Dinesh, you violated the campaign finance law, but that's a fairly trivial offense. We're going to charge you with mail fraud. And I say mail fraud, and they go, yeah, because you put your check in the mail. And then we're going to get you for bank fraud. And I go, bank fraud? And they go, yeah, because you took that money out of your own bank account. It's your money, but it came out of your bank account. So the banks are involved, so it's bank fraud. So the point to realize here is that they're using laws that were passed to go after the mafia and ISIS against political opponents. And so ultimately, for someone like me, you're faced with a choice, a few months in the confinement center or years and years in federal prison, a destroyed career, a destroyed life, no relationship with my daughter. So no rational person is not going to take a plea under those circumstances. So this is the legal gangsterism that is going on in this country. I'm convinced it's much more widespread than I would ever have thought possible. And this is one of the supreme challenges i think facing trump to to root this out to expose it and to it gets to the very root of justice itself dinesh sues everybody united states of socialism is the book it's out now available on amazon and wherever you buy books dinesh always good to see you and appreciate your time sir good luck my pleasure you're in the freedom hut this is the buck sexton show podcast Speaking of the deep state, and I just had my uh, chat with my old friend Dinesh D'Souza about what what he went through. And I think it's important for you all to hear that, that they will go after conservatives. And if I continue on my current trajectory, I can assure you, my friends, the left wing statist apparatus will come after me at some point. Uh, So be prepared for that. Although I'm ready for the fight. The Buckster, he's a polite fellow, but he's a tenacious. He's got that tenacious old Irish side. So. The judge uh, in the case against Flynn, Judge Sullivan, was presented with the possibility. I mean, this was truly stunning that the FBI had lost the 302. It doesn't have the original 302. Now, the 302 is effectively the field report. When I was the NYPD, we called it a DD5. That was the intelligence field report that you would have. And you would talk about your confidential informant or whatever it may be. And 302 is what the FBI uses for their for their field reporting, effectively. And there is a um, th- th- there was this over the weekend revelation that Sullivan uh, was told about this. He was told that there might, and, and this is how 
I mean, it, it's just it's just amazing. This is how he responded. Now, keep in mind, the 302 is what the FBI agents struck and I believe uh, Pientka, I'm not sure how to pronounce this FBI guy's name, uh, who sat down with Flynn, right, that the um, the record of the conversation is what they write down. That is that is it. The record of the conversation is what they say it is. And you would think that a record like that that's being used as the basis for whether or not someone's going to go to prison would be really, really important. Right. This would this is like if someone wrote on a post-it note, this is what you said. And then you're going to go to prison because of what I said you you said because I wrote that wrote it on this post-it note. And then he showed up in court and they said, yeah, send this guy to prison. The judge says, OK, why? Oh, I wrote it on a post-it note what the guy told me. OK, where's the post-it note? I don't know. I don't know. Somebody else has got it. Don't don't you think the judge don't you think that freedom hangs in the balance document would be important? Here is what Judge Sullivan said when he was found out that they do not have the original. The government does not have the original 302. The government, I'm sure, will address that. I don't want to focus on any other case, cases before the court. But, you know, sometimes throughout the best efforts, notwithstanding the best efforts of everyone, things happen and documents are lost. I mean, it just happens. And so we'll wait for the government's submission. That was what he said. That's stunning. This is the this is from James Gagliano, who's a, who's a legal analyst. He wrote about this. He said it's a shockingly cavalier take by Judge Sullivan to defense counsel Sidney Powell on uh, September 10th of 2019 regarding the lost original Flynn 302. So now this this comes. Now we look at what the judge said about this. Now we find out the 302 was revised. It was changed. They entrapped Flynn. And the judge was like, oh, you guys couldn't find it. No big deal. Oh, no, it's a very big deal because the FBI and the deep state actors within it can charge you for lying based upon whatever they write down as your words on a piece of paper. And the federal judge meant to protect your rights will think nothing of it when that freedom hangs in the balance piece of paper just disappears suddenly. Does that sound like the America you want to live in, my friends? I don't think so. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Doing what feels good, what's convenient, what's easy, that's how little kids think. Unfortunately, a lot of so-called grown-ups, including some with fancy titles and important jobs, still think that way, which is why things are so screwed up. Is he taking a little shot at the administration here? Is that, is that Obama who's... Growing up, you know, those adults and the children, uh, they do things easy. Uh, they do this thing. Uh, and Trump, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna call him out by name, but I'm gonna say he's bad, and he acts like a kid. Oh boy, you know, Barack Obama is in a different situation when he when he comes after the Trumpster. No, no, he didn't name Trump here, to be fair, but I think I think it's pretty clear what the implication is. Uh, but Barack Obama has never been subjected to a person who has a similarly sized megaphone who will really fight back because that person does not care if the media calls him uh, horrible names, calls him a racist or whatever, that the person doesn't care. And therefore, you have a, a more even playing field for the fight. Uh, and, and so that's why Trump is stepping into this one right now. Oh, wait, can I, can I just I, I wanted to throw this in there as well. 
whenever you see someone now who doesn't like, and you're seeing this with leftists about the whole collapse of, even further collapse of the Flynn, uh, the Flynn case and Russiagate all around it, and all this reporting that uh, Durham, who's investigating the clearly corrupt origins of Obamagate, all the things that are happening. Uh, whenever you see someone say, oh, but there are so many people dying and you're focusing on this, it tends to be people who, when the story is something they like, it doesn't matter that there's COVID-19 out there, right? They'll, they'll, they'll run stories on whatever they want. But, but the, the go-to now I'm seeing for a lot of libs because the news cycle outside of COVID-19 has been pretty damaging to some major lib narratives out there. The moment that it strays in territory they don't like, it's how could you focus on this when all these people are suffering in the... So, so while the pandemic goes on, are we not allowed to talk about any other news? There's nothing else is allowed to happen. Uh, that, that's what I that's what I'm curious about. That, I think it's fair to it's fair to ask that question. And we, I think, already know we already know what the answer is here. Um, but Trump is willing to fight back when when Obama decides that he's going to say something mean about the Trumpster. And so this is how you get clip 10. Play it. So I think we had a great weekend. We did a lot of uh, terrific meetings. Tremendous progress is being made on many fronts, including uh, coming up with uh, a cure for this horrible plague that has beset our country. Uh, I think a lot of things have happened. Very good. Very. It was a working weekend. It was a good weekend. A lot of very good things have happened. I didn't hear it. Look, he was an incompetent president. That's all I can say. Grossly incompetent. Thank you. Grossly incompetent. Haven't heard people say that about Obama in a while, have you? What were the uh, what were the the big achievements on policy of the Obama administration? What were the genius foreign policy uh, foreign policy stratagems that were accomplished? Does any anybody know? Does anybody have uh, an, an answer here? That, that's what I, I would want to know. I, I would want someone to tell me where is it that we could say that the Obama administration was, in fact, adept, skillful. I mean, yeah, sure, they had the media doing a lot of propaganda for them. They had people that were um, willing to do anything and say anything on behalf of the Obama administration, sure, so I guess in that sense, their messaging was certainly helped along the way. But when we look back at what happened here and what we're being told now is going to happen with the investigation of the Russia collusion fantasy that was put. And it wasn't really I mean, it was a conspiracy. Actually, that's a better word for it. I mean, it's fantastical in the sense that it never happened, but it was a conspiracy. It was brought together for a purpose. This wasn't just a bedtime story that liberals told themselves so they could feel a little bit less sad about Hillary losing the election. They use this as part of a of a coup effort to destroy the incoming administration. Uh, that was I mean, this was a, a weaponization of the FBI and the intelligence community. And that's really beyond doubt at this point. That's really beyond, I think, anybody's ability to re- reasonably question on the facts. And now it's just how involved was Obama and what did Biden know? Uh, and, and I really want to find out who who leaked that phone call between Kizilyak and Flynn, who leaked the phone call to the FBI 
because if they find that out and that person does not face criminal charges, uh, then we know that the, the whole system is really just a joke. It's just a joke. It doesn't count when they don't want someone to get in trouble. That person doesn't get in trouble no matter how egregious. And I think you could already make that argument with what happened with uh, Andy McCabe, former acting director of the FBI. So he can lie several times under oath, and that's no problem. But General Flynn lies under oath, doesn't actually lie. They rewrite their version of what he said. They already had the transcript of every word that was said beforehand, and that's supposed to be a serious crime. That's supposed to be a thing that they will uh, they will put in the I mean, it's it's just crazy. It's just crazy. Oh, but now they're all upset because they're saying that Trump fired the State Department IG. Guess what? Trump's allowed to fire the State Department IG Uh, play play 12 years. Pelosi whining about it. Well, this is new to us and typical of the White House uh, announcing something that is very unsavory. They would do it late on a Friday night. Uh, The fact is, as you indicated, it's the fourth inspector general. Inspectors general, uh, that office was created after Watergate uh, to make sure that there was integrity in the departments, the agencies of government. Uh, They're supposed to show cause. Even Republicans in Congress are concerned. Was he investigating the secretary of state when you say unsavory is that what you mean well i mean unsavory when you take out someone who is there uh to enforce the uh to stop waste fraud abuse or other violations of the law uh that are are they believe to be happening so again let's take a look and see the president has the right to fire any federal employee but the fact is if it looks like it's in retaliation uh for something that the attorney the ig the inspector general is doing that could be unlawful could be unlawful this is the way this is the way that they do this construct i see it happen over and over cnn has a piece how you know trump's firing may be illegal of the ig you know what else could be illegal anything depending on the surrounding circumstances that a president would do trump just signed a bill into law could be illegal you said, Buck, what do you mean? How could it be legal? Did someone, did someone give him a bag of money under the table to go sign that? And he was going to veto it, but then they gave him money? Could be illegal. You could play this could be illegal game all the time. But notice how dishonest it is. What, what rationale do they have for the this could be illegal? Remember, he has total authority, total discretion to fire this Steve Linick, who got fired on Friday as inspector general of the State Department, for any reason or no reason. He'd be like, Steve Linick, I just don't think you're very good. Bye. That's it. It's not, not reviewable. Oh, but now they get to corrupt intent. That's what they'll say. Oh, if there's corrupt intent for the firing. If he's, you know, investigating somebody and Trump didn't want him to investigate him. You, you know what they're saying? I mean, this is amazing. I mean, the libs are completely out of their minds. They really are. You know, they still think, oh, the Logan Act. They'll talk about the Logan Act as if it's a serious thing that we should be and we should be listening to them. And they're completely absurd. No one goes no one goes to prison on the Logan Act and they know that, but they still tell, oh, it's against the law. Uh, Secretary Pompeo, the claim right now is that he was under investigation for um, making a staffer walk his dog and make a dinner reservation for him and his wife. Now, I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say that if you ask somebody to do something for you that you would ask any like normal person or friend to do for you 
on a you know on a one or two off basis or you know whatever. I mean, are, are they what they're gonna they're gonna say that the Secretary of State if if he said, hey man, can you make a dinner reservation for me? I'm I'm really busy in this meeting right now. That's corruption. Oh, it's using per, it's personal benefit for the. Come on, man. Come on. Oh, you just, you can't do this. Well, this is like the same people that want to bring the emoluments clause suit because Trump gets a benefit from foreigners. And they say under the Constitution, this is not allowed because some foreigners buy. I'm not making this up, you know, food, drinks at the Trump hotel. They may have undue influence on Donald Trump himself. I've just said, try this out. Go into Trump International Hotel when it's open. Get some of their delicious flambéed bacon strips, which are amazing. And then say, uh, you know, when you sign a little check for, you know, 40 bucks or whatever, they are it's an expensive place. Uh, when you sign a little check, then say you want your meeting with the, with the president. You know, you, you bought your bacon strips. Now you want the meeting. That's right. You, people, I mean, they won't even laugh at you. They'll think you're sick. They'll think you got a problem. I mean, they'll probably call you know, professionals to come help you work through your issues. This is crazy, right? But this is what they're bringing the emoluments clause suit on. Oh, these foreigners are, this is real. And, and, a, and a judge, the Supreme Court's going to, this just happened last week. A judge has said, oh, the emoluments case can go forward. First of all, usually you can't sue a president in office for any reason. They're letting them sue the president for this. This is outrageous, right? But the, the hashtag resistance judiciary, they don't care how much damage is done to the rule of law. They don't care what the costs of all of this are. They're just disgusting. Uh, they, they, they will do anything to take this guy down because he's such a threat to their sense of their own importance and their role in the world and their future and everything else. And, it, and it's a total, it's just a complete and utter outrage. Uh, but look, the, uh, the Trump firing of the IG gives them something else to sink their teeth into now other than what we were learning in the most recent weeks because of uh, what the what the uh, director of national intelligence has been doing, uh, Richard Grinnell. I, you know, I said on this show that he was like the wider of the intel community, and that kind of went viral over the weekend. Um, and it's pretty awesome, uh, pretty fun to see that happen. But it's true. I mean, he's in there to clean up. I, I will give Andy McCarthy credit. Andy McCarthy said that we really want him to be more like Doc Holliday. You know, and that's I've said that, I've said that that's. If you want a, an analogy for Trump's foreign policy, and especially when he was dealing with with some of the bad actors in the world stage, it's he is like Doc Holliday. Remember in that scene in Tombstone where he says they'll be a little less jumpy if they know Doc's on the street howitzer referring to a sawed off shotgun. Yeah, you, you want a guy who you know, you want a guy who's got a bazooka in his pocket to be the guy who actually might use it or else it doesn't really mean all that much. I know you can't fit a bazooka in the pocket, but it's fun to think about that. So I don't think uh, I don't think anyone's going to fire the um, secretary of state because he might have had someone on his staff make a 30 second phone call on his behalf. But remember, this is how libs play the game. Extreme scrutiny of the law and maximum punishment and twisting the intent of the law in order to, to ruin people. And, oh, we believe in. The law. And then when their people do something bad, it's whoa, whoa, hold on a second. What about the mass incarceration state, man? What's going on? Come on. You can't do that. And this is just a good public servant. You know, McCabe wasn't lying. Comey's totally cool, man. They're just disgusting. They have no principles. They don't care what they have to say to get what they want. They'll just say it. Uh, so, you know, Pelosi talking about this is, I mean, she, she's an, uh, an absurdity. 
And I, I just would love to see somebody make an ex, you know, try to make a, a public defense of why anybody should respect Nancy Pelosi's uh, honor or integrity. I mean, she has she has none. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. You got a president who blames everybody in the world for uh, the problems that we face except himself. You know, this is a guy who, you know, used to talk about President Xi as being a great leader, a good friend of his, uh, the leader of North Korea, uh, who was probably the worst dictator in the world, was a wonderful human being. They wrote love letters to each other. Look, what they're trying to do now is instead of address the pandemic that we have, and I should say, George, that the scandal of the moment is that we don't have national policy. This is the president of the United States. We should have national policy based on science. We should have testing going on all over this country so that when we reopen the economy, workers understand that they're working in a safe environment. Instead, you've got 50 states going it alone because we don't have that national protocol based uh, on science. Oh, my gosh, the socialism is back, baby. Bernie Sanders, we haven't heard from him in a while. He's probably like, look at Joe Biden. You guys say I'm old and crazy. Look at him in the basement. He's talking nonsense all the time. And you know what? The burn would be right because that is what's happening. But the burn also sees this and we'll have to be referring back to this this week. Because we're running a little short on time today on the show. I, don't, I never have enough time with you guys. Never have enough. That reminds me also, BuckSexton.com for the stories. Like I mentioned the story about the Wyatt Earp thing. BuckSexton.com. That's where I need you all to go. You can also download the podcast there. That's becoming the one-stop shop for all things Buck. Uh, but let's get back to Bernie for a second. Here, here's what he says about we should seize this moment. The, the crisis is an opportunity. All the things I've been telling. The socialists love this moment in time as an opportunity to remake America. Play six. If there is any silver lining in the midst of this terrible, terrible and unprecedented moment in American history in terms of the economy, in terms of the pandemic, it is that maybe we start rethinking some fundamental tenets about the way our government and society works. And we should ask ourselves, among other things, is health care a human right that all of us deserve because we're human beings or is it simply a health care benefit that somehow we lose when we lose our jobs? You know, Mr. Navarro talked about the great economy, the beautiful economy that existed before the pandemic. Well, half of the people in America were living paycheck to paycheck. I don't think it's a beautiful economy that when paychecks stop for two weeks, millions and millions of people don't have enough money to buy the food that they need to feed their families. We need an economy that works for all, not just Trump. And his billionaire friends. Socialism. We talked about it with Dinesh. Bernie's telling you right now that's this is going to be a huge opening for the Democratic Party to try to ram through all kinds of the most aggressive socialist policies. And that's really the plan, man. That's what they're going to be up to. They're they're going to look at this as as I've been saying, they're going to look at the very damaged and fragile state of this country right now, damage that they've been pushing for at least economically with these lockdowns which are completely insane and uh, they're going to say well you know what we should just be in charge of this all of the time we should be giving people money like this all of the time that's what's fair that's what's right they will say get ready for it 
Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sadly, Joe Biden's worldview on China is, you know, you used before the word naive. I think that captures it well. It's hopelessly naive. Gosh, the Chinese, what could be the problem? Well, they're malevolent communists who want to dominate us, who want to conquer us. And who are, and that's part of their strategy. And 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 I think that Joe is simply not equipped and doesn't even understand the threat exists. Malevolent commies. That's what Ted Cruz says about China's Communist Party. Well, we've got somebody who just broke a story about uh, Western media involving China. Our friend Raheem Kassam is in the house. He is the host or co-host, I should say, of the War Room uh, podcast extravaganza. He's there with Bannon and some other folks, Stephen Miller. Mr. Raheem Kassam, great to have you back, sir. We have, we have missed you in the Freedom Hut. I have missed being in the Freedom Hut, but uh, I think everyone around the country uh, is, is currently in the hut and misses freedom. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's very true. Tell me about this story. Um, it's an exclusive. Major Western media, this is at the National Pulse, major Western media, CNN, BBC, Reuters, the Associated Press, participated in Chinese Communist Party's Global Media Summit. You wrote this with Kingsley Cortez. What's going on here? Yeah, that's right. It's a story that we've just popped. Um, something that we've been looking at for a long time is um, the Chinese Communist Party's influence in Western media outlets. And this is just the latest development um, as a result of a long-standing uh, attempt by the Chinese Communist Party to co-opt uh, Western media organizations, Western journalists, security analysts. Uh, for those that don't know, that uh, the National Pulse, which is a, a relatively new outlet that we've started, we are full-time uh, dedicated right now to investigating the reach of the Chinese Communist Party into uh, Western uh, uh, media agencies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, this story comes uh, uh, on the back of several days' investigation. What it shows is that back in 2017, uh, the entity called CGTN, which is a subsidiary of the CCTV, the Chinese Communist Television Network, um, they uh, hold held a conference in China called the Global Media Summit. It was the first of its kind. And uh, at the first glance, when it appeared that they had invited Western journalists, I thought to myself, this cannot be true that these uh, entities took official part in this. But as we dug down into it and found footage online of these events, it turned out that CNN, uh, the BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation, Reuters, the Associated Press, the Huffington Post, and many others apparently willingly participated, not just attending uh, this Global Media Summit, but also taking part as panelists, as people on stage giving presentations. Um, over the course of the event, many things were discussed uh, in the media space uh, involving reporting, digital media, social media, and etc. as you would imagine at a media conference. But really what this Global Media Summit is and was, and it still goes on uh, today, uh, was an attempt for, by the Chinese Communist Party, CCTV and CGTN, are wholly owned by the Chinese Communist Party, 
is an attempt by them to effectively launder their reporting to allow the CNNs and the BBCs and the APs and the Reuters of the world to lend their legitimacy and their credibility as Western outlets to backing up what the Chinese propaganda arms are doing. And we have been following in detail what the Chinese propaganda arms have been doing in recent months, especially since the outset of the novel coronavirus, spreading misinformation, disinformation, attempting to sow discord in the West. Of course, we know everything related to the World Health Organization, the exclusion of Taiwan from all of that. And we heard from Secretary Pompeo on that this week. So really what it boils down to is this, and I encourage people to read the story. It's very detailed. We go into the detail of who was there and when and what they said. And you can read for yourself all the source links of everything there. Um, really what it comes down to is this, the question, why are Western media journalists, people who uh, supposedly back transparency and democracy and who are quick uh, to repudiate and rebuke President Trump and other Western leaders when they think they fall short of Western ideals, why are they taking part in Chinese communist propaganda? It's a very good question. Raheem Kassam is asking it. He is the host of the War Room podcast. Go to the nationalpulse.com for his exclusive about Western media being used as really a, a, a propaganda megaphone or an extension, perhaps, of the Chinese Communist Party's propaganda megaphone. Uh, Raheem, you know, you look at, at international relations from a, a 30,000 foot perspective a lot in the work that you do. Do you, do you think that America now, you know, Trump had been raising the alarm about China on trade for years and, and much of the conservative establishment was essentially or I should say the Republican establishment maybe was against it. A lot of the beltway intelligentsia, a lot of the think tankers. Oh, free trade became this thing. You just say I'm for free trade. It means, OK, so we get pillaged by China and just keep taking it. That's what free trade apparently means or that's what it meant, I should say. Do you think now we have seen just on, on the right, at least, a real shift, a solidification of the understanding of what Ted Cruz said, where these, you know, the, the CCP is a bunch of evil commies that are trying to cause real problems for us. I think we're just at the beginning of that shift, actually, and, and there aren't enough people taking it seriously enough, and there aren't enough people doing enough about it. You know, I was speaking to people this weekend about this uh, phenomenon of the fact that actually there, there is scant leadership in this area. Okay, you have the president of the United States who's been tough on China in terms of trade for absolutely decades now, we know, uh, but who's coming in behind him? Who's actually doing the hard policy work? Who's doing the exposés? Obviously, we, you know, we, we can do what we can with a small outlet like the National Pulse, a new outlet like the National Pulse. But you would expect that somewhere along the line, some Western media organization would actually go through all of this information over the past couple of decades and point out exactly what China has been doing, what they have been doing in Africa, what they have been doing in the South China Sea, what they have been doing in Hong Kong, what they have been doing in Latin America, and what they're indeed doing here in the United States of America, and indeed in my home country of the United Kingdom, where they effectively usurp Western media analysts feed them a party line the chinese communist party line and they and those lines are regurgitated outward into the western media we've exposed several of their participants in this over at the national pulse over the last couple of weeks uh, there's also politicians who for decades have said uh, that they believe in free trade we did this story about the, the one of the tennessee senate hopefuls 
Bill Haggerty last week, whereby Tennessee, under his stewardship of the economic uh, side of things, he was appointed by Governor Haslam to lead Tennessee's economic coordination. And under his tenure, or just one year after he left, Tennessee was the single most reliant state on China and trade from China in the entire union. So I think we're just at the beginning of seeing all of this come to pass and come to fruition. And a credit to the people who have been on this for a very long time, like Senator Cruz and, and, and indeed uh, people who I haven't been a fan of in the past, like Marco Rubio, has done excellent work on this too. But I'm afraid we are just coming to the beginning of it. And also, I think a little bit of buyer beware on these things. Caveat emptor. Some of the people will be j jumping on this story um, just to try and get their names in the headlines. You've got to be able to trust who's saying what, and I suspect uh, and I suggest to the audience that you trust people who have been on this subject uh, for a little bit of time, not people who are coming to it recently. And, and, and there are many of them out there. There are some serious experts in this field who you can look at if you're interested in China's influence uh, in the Western world. Um, but again, I think we're just at the, at, the, at the very outset of getting our heads around just how much the Chinese have their hand in Hollywood in our politicians and beyond. We're speaking to Raheem Kassam, host of the War Room podcast, which, by the way, when is when am I going to be a guest on War Room, huh? Tell Bannon, you know, you know, qui, qui bono, quid pro quo. You know, you tell Bannon I miss him. Um, but I, I also want to ask, man, you know, th this audience is very... Miller, too, by the way, he's a nice guy. Um, uh, but uh, this audience knows you very well because you filled in on the show numerous times in, in the past. We just want to check in, man. How, how are you? You're in quarantine, not not you know, specific quarantine, but we're all in lockdown, I should say. You're in lockdown in D.C. How's it going down there? And how does Raheem Kassam pass the time? Well, Washington, D.C. and Capitol Hill, especially, are very strange places at the moment because you have this situation where if you're not walking down the street wearing a mask, people sort of start looking at you like you've murdered their family or something like that. It's a very, um, you know, rules-based way of looking at things. And Mayor Bowser has extended the lockdown in Washington, D.C. as well. However, um, in the in the DMV area, uh, i.e. in Maryland and Virginia now, things are beginning to open up. So a lot of D.C. types are actually going out to Maryland to get their hair cut. Obviously, you can see I haven't. Um, but I did travel out, to, had a drive to, uh, to Kent Island this weekend just to see um, what was going on and how the reopening was going. And it seems like, you know, people are keen. Uh, and by the way, I was a I was a lockdown person. They said 30 days to stow the spread. I was all in favor of that, but it stops at 30 days, right? We didn't give our permission for that to last any longer. And I am wholly on side of the people who now say, okay, we've done that. We slowed the spread. The hospitals weren't overwhelmed. That's what we're out to get. The nonsense that Fauci now and these guys are coming out with that we can't return to normal until uh, you're all pumped full of this rush vaccine is a manifest nonsense. And it must be rejected and i applaud the people and i've seen some gym owners in new jersey for instance and, and elsewhere who are opening up and opening up safely i applaud them it's that kind of uh intrepid spirit i think that distances america from the rest of the world so carry on keep calm and carry on as they say i mean it's like raheem could have been handling the reaction during the blitz folks he's got you covered listen to raheem we're all good we got to have a stiff upper lip right that's what the brits say that's exactly right. That that old blitz spirit comes back again, and and you know, interesting. Keep keep calm and carry on as a as a thing was was designed during the war, but it wasn't actually deployed very much during the war. It kind of caught on afterwards. Well, I say let's let's do as they intended with it uh, during during the Second World War. Let's bring it out as a national slogan now, right? Keep calm and carry on is exactly what most people in the country and indeed the Western world need to be hearing right now. Absolutely, man. I'm 
Cosine. Raheem Kassam, everybody, War Room Podcast. Also, the National Pulse for his uh, breaking story just came out now on China and what the uh, Western news media is doing uh, in favor of China. Raheem, great to see you, man. Stay safe. Thanks very much for having me, bud. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Al-Qaeda was involved in the strike on the United States uh, back in December, uh, December 6th of 2019. There was this shooting, some of you I'm sure will recall, um, that was at a U.S. naval base in Florida. Three people were killed. The attacker was a Saudi named Second Lieutenant Mohammed Saeed al-Shamrani. He was a member of the Saudi Royal Air Force. He was there as part of a U.S. Navy uh, Navy training program. So we invite this guy in to train him, make him better at his job. And uh, this disgusting piece of blank terrorist uh, kills our people. And we had thought all along that there was uh, likely a connection here to outside jihadist forces. And now they have even they have additional evidence, according to FBI Director Christopher Wray, um, The Pensacola attack was actually the brutal culmination of years of planning. Al-Shamrani was actually radicalized in 2015. Now, there there were a and Oh, you may re- recall as well that Al-Shamrani, one of the instructors referred, or referred to this guy as, quote, porn stash, which he really did not like. And initially, if I remember now, this is just going off of memory. There may have been some journalists that suggested that that was that it was merely calling him porn stash that led him to go and, and kill three of our three of our soldiers or three of our um, military members. Uh, and he was he was shot and killed, thankfully, by a sheriff's deputy right on the scene. So he got he got taken out. So there's not going to be a trial or anything now. Uh, but the, one of the problems here was that they this was uh, one of those times where they could not access his communications. Uh, they couldn't access them because he had an Apple iPhone and they didn't have the codes to get into it. Looks like they did manage to get in, get past the decryption, but Apple declined to do so. And this always brings up this very, very thorny debate over whether or not people uh, should be, well, companies really should be forced to help the authorities to to essentially leave a backdoor or create an override for the system, because once you do that, now the encryption is inherently weakened and now it's out there. And given what we've seen with the government, you see with a terrorist, you'd always say, well, of course, we should have that backdoor. Right. Well, not everyone would say that, but most people would say some civil libertarians out there would probably disagree. But you see this guy, Al Shamrani, this this scum that killed uh, killed three Americans who were part of this training program trying to help this guy out this scum uh was able to hide at least his plans on his apple device and we would all say well shouldn't apple do whatever you know whatever law enforcement needs it to in this circumstance to help get around this encryption for what what seems to be a a directed and an outside in attack meaning outside of the u.s foreign directed jihadist plot inside the united states that took a long time also goes to show you i mean what what, what a bunch of of just not only the disgraceful and evil uh, and disgusting, you know, human beings, Al Qaeda in general, Al Qaeda operatives like this guy, but you know, they took years. And so he shoots a bunch of, he shoots three innocent people. And then we, and then he gets blown away by a sheriff's deputy. And you say, what does Al Qaeda really think they accomplished with this? 
you know, ultimately what we've seen is they're really just such a bunch of losers. You know, that's how Trump refers to them. And a lot of journalists get very snide about that. But it's true. The people that do these kinds of things, these Al Qaeda or ISIS or any of these other, whether they're sympathizers or directed by these organizations, they're just bad people. They're losers. Uh, And their ideology is pathetic and it's never going to win. And, you know, we've been lucky for a while here in that we haven't had to focus in on the still very real jihadist threat around the world. Jihadism has receded. It took us almost 20 years and a lot of, you know, trillions of dollars of expense and counterterrorism operations all over the world and multiple wars. And whether those wars helped jihadism recede or not is a debate for another day. Uh, Certainly the one Afghanistan, I believe, did, but Iraq we could talk about. But this... This uh, this attack uh, in Pensacola was an Al Qaeda attack. So um, that's that's where we are on this one. And and I think you'll see people at least reminded. um, Oh, and there was a uh, there was audio, I believe, that Al Qaeda's branch in Yemen had claimed this attack already. So AQAP is referred to Al Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula uh, is considered the most active for external plotting. In the world now this because Yemen is a Yemen is a failed state in the middle of a civil war. Uh, it's got so many problems that we could do a whole show just cataloging them. Unfortunately, it's a, it's in terrible shape as a, as a place, as a country. Uh, but there is freedom for Al Qaeda to operate there, to plan there, to train, to uh, engage in more overt terrorist activity than it would in a, in a lot of other places around the world. And. Uh, by the way, in January, U.S. officials, according this is according to Al Jazeera, so I mean, you know, check the source. But U.S. officials announced that they were sending home 21 Saudi military students after an investigation revealed they had posted uh, anti-American sentiments on social media pages. I didn't see this until now, or had quote contact with child pornography. What the hell are these Saudis doing? My God! But uh, let's just focus in on the anti-American sentiment here for a second. Yeah, if you're a visitor in this country and you're putting up anti-U.S. posts and you're in a U.S. military installation at our behest, out. You should go. You have no free speech rights here if you're a foreigner visiting on U.S. soil on a U.S. military base. Um, so the Saudis said they'd review the conduct of the 21 to see if they should face discipline. I'm guessing they didn't face any discipline, but this was, uh, this was an Al-Qaeda plot. He was in contact with Al-Qaeda, according to what they found on his phone. They finally got through the encryption. So... You know, the terrorists took out three more of ours. Got to remain vigilant. This threat has receded now, but it could come back. And uh, this is something that's still going to stay with us. So we've got to keep an eye on it. Thanks for listening to the Bus, Sex, and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. Roll call time. Producer Mark, how was your weekend, buddy? How's everything going? Uh, pretty well. Well, well I stayed in. Yeah, yeah. me too, actually. No, make big party, no big parties no. this weekend. I'm going to make that joke until I can actually go somewhere other than my apartment. Yeah, no, I, I can understand. Although I, I will say there were a lot more restaurants open for takeout this weekend than ever had been before. Uh, so that was encouraging to see, at least in my, in my area. Um, and I also just, there were people all over the streets. I mean, everyone's just like, get me out of here. They're all trying to just get outside and get air. And 
uh, which is good. I mean, I wish that they didn't feel like they all had to be wearing masks. I mean, I, I see like 22 year olds on electric scooters with a mask on. I'm like, what do you what is that? But I know the mask politics. It is what it is. I mean, I can barely exercise without a mask. So I can only imagine with one. Yeah, well, I just it's, exercise it's also going to be really uncomfortable. I think people have really thought this through. When it gets to be 80, 85 degrees and you have to actually be outside and do things, to have a mask on, this is going to suck, okay? Doctors wear masks indoors in air-conditioned offices and hospitals. They're not walking around outside, you know, going for a jog in the park with a mask on. This is nuts. Yeah, I mean, I think I might still, I'm still going to do it in grocery stores or any indoor confined space, but I'm not doing it outside. You watch any good movies all the weekend? Anything like that? Uh, my wife had never seen the FX series on the OJ trial. Oh, my So gosh. we watched, I know, she's, stuff like that is news to her. It just amazes me, but we watched that, and she loved it. I'm, I watched it for the second time. It was great. It's Phil. fantastic. Yeah. I think it's the best thing Cuba Gooding Jr. has ever done. Oh, yeah, he portrays OJ so well in that. He is, he is amazing in that, and... Um, I, I also think that there's a scene there with uh, uh, Ron Perlman was the Ron, Ron, what was his name? The guy who was killed. Who was oh, Ron with, Goldman. Ron Goldman. Um, Ron Goldman, uh, his father, when he sits down with Marsha Clark, that scene, that scene like haunts you, you know. Oh, where, yeah. Where the guy is just like, yeah, everyone's just talking about this. What about, you know, what about my son, who was a really good guy and did nothing wrong and had nothing like had nothing to do with any of this, really? I mean. In some ways, you're just like, he was just, you know, I mean, obviously the guy murders his wife. He's a psychopath, but there's just a guy who's standing next to him and no one even talks about that, really. I mean, that doesn't get any, it's just, whew. Even today, people still forget about him. And look, I mean, I, 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 mean, I, I stumbled, I remembered his first name. I stumbled on his last name just because he didn't, everyone knows Nicole, you know, Nicole Brown Simpson, right? Everyone knew that she, she was wife, she's a beautiful woman, she's murdered, mother of his children, he murders her. I mean, it's just so horrific, but there was this other guy who was just there who murdered with her. And, you know, it, it is a double murder. I mean, that's, you know, the OJ was OJ didn't just kill the wife and mother of his own children. He was willing to kill a, a guy who just happened to be there. Yeah, well, and the fact that he I will never do. You, wait, how old were you when that verdict? Gosh, what was it? Ninety six when the verdict came down. I was three. Yeah, I was going to say, do you remember? But no, you no, do I, not. I do not. I remember it. It's the only time when I was in grammar school that all the teachers, we, they had like little radios in the rooms, which I didn't, you know, maybe so we could get to the bomb shelters. It was some old like Soviet, you know, thing. I, I don't know, because I didn't realize that we even had these little these little old school radios in the room and they all had them. And do I say room funny? But I say room funny, don't I? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I, this is the snow princess has pointed this out that I, I kind of say almost like rum. But yeah, I don't know. If that's a like New York you're thing. like Stewie from the fa- from Family Guy. Yeah, yeah I, I sound like Stewie. My little sisters actually said that before. Yes, so. you, you, you sound like Seth MacFarlane. I do? Yeah, who is the voice of Stewie and Peter and most of the characters, actually. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so anyway, but I remember when the OJ verdict came down, and I was, that was stunning. Because I, it was the first time as I was like, I was kind of a little kid. I was like, justice will prevail. Like, he's going to prison. Like, I was only the eighth grade, but we all knew the guy did it. It couldn't have been more obvious, right? And nope. Justice did not prevail. It was a real moment. It was a real, wow. Everyone in the country except those 12 jurors knew that he did it. Oh, no. And I think, by the way, I think they knew that he did it, too. But it wasn't about, right? When you get this from the show, it wasn't about that. It was about other things. Right. It was about other stuff. It wasn't about the fact that he was a double murderer. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, Kyle writes in here, Buck, you were talking about the progressive grab bag that is the HEROES Act. 
One of the things I noticed was suspending federal student loan payments until September 2021. I think that's meant to condition people to get used to not paying their student loans at all and is a logical step toward advocating simply forgiving the debt as September 2021 approaches. My wife and I sacrificed luxuries and lived on one income to pay off six figures of student loan debt in less than five years, while friends of ours with similar debt took vacations and bought their first home. We're doing well now, and the thought of us being taxed in the future to help forgive the education choices made by others is infuriating. If this were the story of the ant and the grasshopper, Democrats want to punish the ant and reward the grasshopper. I don't actually know the story of the ant. Do you know the story of the ant? I mean, I can figure I it out not. from I context. Can. but From context, I could figure it out, but no, I don't know. Yeah, no. But as long as the praying mantis can still kill the murder hornets, we're all going to be okay. Did you see that video? I did not. It's amazing. You have it's a video went viral. You know when the murder hornet. You know you know about the murder hornets. Can you talk about it on the show? I'm also good. I also got to say something. The French bulldog that killed its owner turns out it was a pit bull mix. Doesn't really count. I, I'm I'm not, I'm not throwing shade at pit bulls because oh my gosh, your inbox gets wild. Yeah, please you do don't I'm go not throwing, there. I'm not throwing shade at pit bulls. Okay, I know there can be lovely pets. I you you guys all know I love dogs. Everyone can just cool their, cool their chest. This is, Pitbull is up there with the vaccine discussion as a general matter where you feel like you could talk about it, but people have very strong opinions on it, so. And the Pitbull people are actually right. See, Producer Mark, is the Pitbull people are actually right. Uh, so yeah, but it's a, it's, it was a Pitbull mix with a French Bulldog. Because a French Bulldog is just not large enough and powerful enough to kill a person. Okay, that's like saying your Chihuahua killed you. It's just not, didn't make any sense. Turns out that it was a mix with a Pitbull. So it's substantially larger and more powerful than a standard. And it had been in a fighting ring. Okay, so I'm just saying. Right, so you're not scared like, of Tallulah. Yeah. I was like, Tallulah, am I being too slow with your, your chicken over the weekend? You know, I was like, she started looking at me like, do I look like a big drumstick walking around this place? I don't know. But no, she would never. She just wants her belly scratched. Um, oh, but the uh, the murder hornets. Yeah, there's a video of a praying mantis against a murder hornet. That praying mantis takes out that murder hornet. No problem. That does sound awesome. I'll have to look it up. Yeah, you should. Check. It's actually worth seeing. She's like, damn, praying mantises are. There's a reason why they have their own kung fu style. You see what I did there? I did. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. Hmm. It's good. Okay, I'll move on. Kenny, you're right about the people with cancer who can't get checked because of the lockdown. My mother-in-law just had surgery to remove cancer. We found out it had spread while we were on lockdown and doctors were not allowed to perform the procedure. We will never know whether the two weeks we waited made the difference, but to suggest the lockdowns have no cost is clearly wrong. Kenny, I'm so sorry. And this was foreseeable for the country as a policy matter. Of course, this kind of tragic circumstance was going to happen. But we were not allowed, when we were discussing policy, Kenny, we were not allowed to have a discussion about this and what the effects would be. You know, we were not allowed to bring this in. If you did, you just you didn't care enough about, you know, whatever it was, frontline workers or granny or whatever. And it's like, well, what about granny that might get cancer? What about your mom? What about you? Right. What about anybody who might get cancer? Oh, no, that that wasn't allowed to be a part of the discussion. Kenny also writes. Uh, also, I'm a second year at Harvard Business School. Well, Kenny, very nice. Very impressive, sir. It's pretty woke, but I try to spread freedom. Yeah, you do. You listen to this show. Just a quick defense of Harvard. They neither requested nor received any money from the CARES Act. They shouldn't have been blamed for qualifying for the $9 million. The CARES Act allocated money to colleges, and Harvard qualified, but they never asked for nor received the money. There are lots of things these woke schools do wrong, but in this case, the conservative anger was misdirected. If the people who, it was the people who wrote the bill who were sloppy, not the school's fault. 
Kenny, noted. Thank you for the update. Uh, that sounds sounds about right, considering how many holes and problems there were in the bill other than that. Eric, hey, Buck, just finished watching the new Jerry Seinfeld special. As a married man of 15 years, I have to say his bid on marriage was spot on. Food for thought for you to prepare for the snow princess, whoever she might be. Well, thank you very much, Eric. Uh, Producer Mark and I both really enjoyed um, enjoyed that special. I still laugh about the porta potty thing whenever I think about it. But yes, it's. Uh, do you remember the the married part of it, Mark? Yeah, I'm just wondering. that doesn't really stick out to me. I know we talked about it, but I can't remember what the bit. It, it was, was usual, you know, jokes about your wife nagging you and stuff like that. Okay, you know, uh, fair enough. The, the yeah, normal yeah. stuff. It's Seinfeld. I get it. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, more roll call here in the Freedom Hut with producer Mark and yours truly, Jake. Yesterday, my wife went shopping and came home with the comment, when are things going back to normal? I think a lot of people are wondering that. And my answer is, while President Trump is in office, maybe never. But if nonspecific Democrat is elected president, then the flipping of the script will be immediate and jarring. As long as Demedia, see what I did there? Very nice, Jake. Can scare people into staying home or wearing masks, Trump will suffer and the economy will be collateral damage. But they're smart enough to know that normalcy only returns when public opinion is fully flipped into thinking we have to be brave and go back to living our lives knowing the cost. That's when the elites get to lecture us on our courage friends, uh, uh, lecture us on, quote, courage friends go shopping on their nauseating TikTok videos uh, now filmed on their beachfront instead of their den full of important looking books. The credibility shelf, which is an important thing. Uh, for your live hits at home. See, I, I have an incredibility, a credibility stack behind me here in the Freedom Hut because my apartment is so small. I don't even really have a formal bookshelf in here because my apartment's so small. So that's how, that's how living large we are here in the Freedom Hut. No bookshelf because no room because apartment too small. But I have books. David. Hey, Buck. Uh, I cannot get through a day without listening to your program. You provide so much important information that I would never hear from the mainstream media. I've listened to your show for several years on Boston 1200 Talk Radio, but recently discovered what podcasts are and subscribed to the Buck Sexton Podcast. It is great. Well, thank you so much, man. But I was wondering, what is more beneficial for your show and ratings, listening on the radio or on the podcast? I love the podcast, but if it would be more beneficial for me to listen on the radio, I will switch back. Uh, the answer, David, is it's great on both, man. Whatever is easiest for you, whatever you can most consistently and, and uh, comfortably listen, whatever way, uh, that, that's the way to do it. So... Uh, please do continue to listen if you love on the, if you like listening on the podcast. BuckSexton.com is now a place where we have the podcast for you to listen. Uh, you can go on Spotify. You can go on the Apple Podcasts and um, the iHeartRadio app. I, uh, yes, the iHeartRadio app. iHeartRadio being the company that we work for. Good call, Mark. So, yes, uh, that those would be the ways you can do it. And, and you know what, David? And thank you so much for uh, for listening. But the best thing you could also do is if you got some friends, who you know, are conservatives. Please share with them the podcast and explain to them. I mean, I listen to books on tape now. I mean, I'm somebody who is really always operating in the audio world. Uh, I don't really I don't really listen to other podcasts. So I'll listen to some history podcasts. <clears throat> Malta. I know, guys, it's coming. But I know there's other history podcasts out there. I'll listen to them sometimes just out of curiosity because I like history. Uh, but if you could tell somebody so they would listen, that would be the single most effective, most helpful thing you could do to help the Freedom Hut keep the doors open. You know, otherwise, otherwise, producer Mark is going to end up you know, I don't know. Producer Mark is going to open up a 
uh, Italian restaurant with good food, but grouchy service. And we no, don't want that. I would open up a bar and name it Puzzles. Name Puzzles? Yeah. Why Puzzles? Do you not get the reference? No. It's uh, from How I Met Your Mother. Barney and Ted wanted to open a bar and name it Puzzles. Wow, you just snuck in a How I Met Your, a How I I Met Your Mother reference past me. I did. I'm going to hang my head in shame. I should have gotten that. I'm sorry about that. I thought guys. you would, so I figured that was an easy no, reference. I know, I know. I love that. I love that show. And I feel like, I feel like a lot of, not a lot of Team Buck really watch that, that show. I think it's great for what it is. And also, it, it's, there's a lot of nostalgia for me because as a guy who's been in New York and been single for many years, the show resonates. Uh, the show resonates for sure. And, and I, uh, you know, that's where it's where I learned about the hot crazy scale, for example, ah, which is a is a thing. The hot crazy scale. I'm not saying that I uh, so I'm not saying that I subscribe to it just in case the snow princess is hearing this. I, I you know, I'm not saying we don't. There's no such thing as a hot crazy scale yeah, yeah, in real yeah, life. Talk your way out of this one. But right, go I'm, ahead, please. Yeah, it's just a thing that I've heard about from the show that I do not rely on at all. Sure. It's it's not. No. No. Okay. You're gonna have ah, to spend, next one. spend next the next night one. in uh, crate. Next one. <laughs> Corey writes, Brewster Mark is awesome. He's smart. Corey knows how to get in the roll call. Hey guys, uh just wanted to, as a reaction to Red China's obvious negligence and response to the Rona, why doesn't the US open an embassy in Taipei, Republic of China, as a result recognizing them as a country? It would punish the C- punish the CCP at home by not being able to bring the country whole as they see it uh, and push back on the influence in the region. Corey, I mean, it's a good idea, except that would be seen as super provocative by the Chinese Communist Party. And no one has the. Um, I need to find a word to say when someone doesn't have the because, you know, in, in common language, we would all we all know what the word is that I want to use. But I feel like I shouldn't say that on the radio. And so I end up saying gall. But that sounds like I'm you know, Mrs. Doubtfire up here or something. You're like, oh, he doesn't have the gall to pull that off. Like, we all know. Can we say so cojones? No, that's, that, that's just a, that's an Espanol. You can't just go with an Espanol. Oh, okay. But, I mean, yeah, same idea. I don't know. I also, I mean, I feel like I shouldn't, you know, I feel like that B word for some of the audience, we got, we got some young folks listening and everything else, and it's a little, I don't know. I think it's a little, a little brash. A little uh, on the edge. What do you normally play sports with, Buck? I mean, yes, that uh-huh. is true. You, there usually are balls in sports. Yes. Soccer ball, basketball. But to say that one has... But, you know, it's tough. There's a lot of phrases. See, the problem is that phrases become... They kind of get numbed over time, and we all use it more and more. You know, like when, when you run around and you call someone a jerk, for example, which is acceptable. We're allowed to say jerk. That guy's a jerk. But, you know, you get too into the derivation. It's true also, you know, you, you, you say, you talk about uh, people who are, you know, an, an idiot, for example. You're talking about some of these words we use. You know, the, the history of them, but we've, those are now considered acceptable to use. But it's always changing. It's always changing. Um, Brandon writes, hey, Buck, I just saw that Tides of History just did an episode on the Siege of Malta. I can't wait for yours. Is it going to be posted in your normal podcast link? What the hell is Tides of History? And why are they doing a Malta thing? Well, probably because you've been talking about it for three months. Who the, who the heck is Tides of History? And why are they stealing my Malta thunder here? I've, written, I've read like five books on Malta in the last month. 
Tides of History. I got to see what. And now I'm, of course, giving them free advertising on the yes. show, even by mentioning it. Oh, it's. Um, I have no idea. I don't even know if it exists. I'm not even going to look it up. Who cares? Because my Malta podcast will be amazing. I'm going to leave it there, friends. Uh, thank you so much for joining, as always. Appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much for being here. And yeah, good to go. Shields high, everybody.